Our text today is Matthew 26, 45. And I kind of just want to walk through that with you. It's printed in your bulletin. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Are you still sleeping and resting? Have you ever fallen asleep at the wrong time? I mean, have you ever fallen asleep, maybe at what we might term an inappropriate moment? I remember being in Bible and world geography with Brother Wilbur Fields. Brother Fields, I think at the time, was 110. And he would start class with this real sing-song voice. Good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you today? And it would just kind of go on from there, which in and of itself is enough. But Brother Field's class was at 1.30, and we were in Missouri, so lunch was a big deal. We're talking fried, heavy food, you know, dessert, and you're in college, so there's no reason to hold back because it's all part of the meal plan, right? And so you'd get full, you'd walk up the hill in time for your nap with Brother Wilbur Fields. And Brother Fields had been to every place that was interesting and kind of interesting in the Holy Land. I mean, he'd been all over the place, and he'd taken pictures of them. So he would come in, followed by Brother Jim, the guy that helped him out, and they have this slide projector, no computers, slide projector, carousels with dust from the Holy Land still on it, and he'd bring it in, and he'd set it up, and they'd show these pictures. And in order to help everybody fall asleep faster, he would always turn out the lights. So we're sitting in a nice, warm, dark, quiet room being narrated to sleep by Brother Fields. Now, Brother Jim was an older student. He helped Brother Fields carry stuff in and out of class. And Brother Jim sat towards the front, as all of the good students do. And I sat behind him because I wasn't as good of a student as Brother Jim. And Brother Jim had been with Brother Fields on lots of his digs. Now, now let me tell you, I've always wanted to go to the Holy Land. That's one of my dreams. It's a place I'd really like to go. But when you see pictures of ruins in Palestine, if you've seen pictures of one set of ruins from Palestine, you've seen them all. Because it looks like this. There is a mountain of dust with a bunch of bricks that have fallen over over thousands of years. And you can only look at that so many times. And so whether this is a picture of Jericho or Ai or whatever the town may be, after about the first three slides, it all starts looking the same. Now, Brother Jim was sitting in the front on a particular day, and he was sitting there silhouetted against the screen like this. Now, why was Brother Jim sitting like this? It's because Brother Jim was really paying attention, and he was really listening good, and he was thinking really hard about what Brother Fields had to say. And Brother Fields on this class day said uh, they were showing pictures of some ruins on a dusty hill someplace in Palestine. And and he said, Brother Jim, do you remember when we went to this town? And Brother Jim either didn't remember or he was so deep in thought that he didn't think to respond. And so Brother Fields thought, you know, I'm going to ask this again. And so he says, Brother Jim, don't you remember when we went to this place and saw this thing and... Brother Jim didn't answer. And it became really apparent that Brother Jim was not thinking, but Brother Jim was sleeping. 
Brother Field said, Brother Jim had a hard night last night. We'll let him take a nap today. But we didn't let Brother Jim take a nap. We had to wake him up and give him a hard time for falling asleep in the middle of Brother Field's class because sometimes it's inappropriate to fall asleep. It's wrong. Don't fall asleep. That's embarrassing, but there's times when it's dangerous. Think of air traffic controllers falling asleep when they should be landing planes. That's problematic. Think of Stacey Comerford. She suffers from Klein-Levin syndrome, popularly known as Sleeping Beauty Syndrome. Sleeps two months at a time. Fell asleep in uh, March. Didn't wake up till May. Slept all through school's final exams, all through her high school's end-of-the-year social. When she woke up, she thought it was just the next morning. She's sleeping her life away. It's tragic. This morning in the text that, that I read, we see that the disciples are sleeping through one of life's most important moments. Jesus has taken these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, brought them to Gethsemane where he's going to go off and pray and he looks at them and he knows what's coming and he says, could you, could you watch and pray with me? Will you stay awake and pray? My soul is overwhelmed. I am burdened. And so he goes off and prays. He comes back. What's he find? He finds the disciples asleep. He's, he wakes them up. He says, I, I need you to watch. I need you to pray. And, and then he goes off and he comes back and they're asleep. He goes off again after waking him up. And the third time, he tells him to stay awake. He comes back now this fourth time, and they're still asleep. And he says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is about to be delivered to the hands of sinners. And you're sleeping through it. The hour is near. The Son of Man... The Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus loves to refer to himself as the Son of Man. Now, there's some prophetic uh, texts about that in the Old Testament that talk about one coming as the Son of Man, really talking about uh, what I think is Christ's uh, eventual return as as victor and king. Uh, So there's some allusion to that. But I think Jesus here is trying to emphasize his humanity. Jesus is just trying to emphasize his proximity with the people that he's with. I mean, after all, Jesus had lived, you know, a fairly normal experience. He'd been born into a family, although of a virgin birth, and had lived uh, probably working with Joseph, and he had had all of those things happen. Uh, It is this Son of Man that is about to be delivered. It's the same Son of Man that's come and has been teaching on the hillside to the multitude. It's the same Son of Man that's come and has been healing the sick and giving sight to the blind. It's the same Son of Man that was baptized and the Spirit comes on Him in the form of the dove. It's the same Son of Man that's even raised people from the dead. It's that Son of Man that's about to be delivered into the hands of sinners. But to to say the Son of Man is not to de-emphasize His divinity. I mean, because as we've been reading through the story here, we see that the Son of Man is also the Son of God. And it's the same God that created the world from nothing. It is the same Son of God that was present to bring the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. It was the same God that revealed His perfection and His righteousness through the law on Mount Sinai. 
It is the same God that, that formed a kingdom and promised a future king to David. It is the same God who, who exiled His people because of His righteousness and then redeemed them back because of His love. It is the same Son of God. It is this Son of Man that is about to be delivered into the hands of sinners. About to be delivered. Who is it that does the delivery? You know, you look at the text and you're tempted to say, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Judas, right? Judas is the one that puts it together. Judas is the one that brokers the deal. Judas is the one that betrays Jesus with a kiss. It's Judas that delivers the Son of Man. But I don't know about you, but I want you to know that I don't think Judas was smart enough to outwit God. Judas may have been cunning, but he wasn't tricky enough to trick God. Maybe it was the Sanhedrin. I mean, after all, they'd been after Jesus for quite some time, but I want you to know that even in all of their intellect and craftiness, and even though they had trapped others in a snare of legalism, they were not going to trap Jesus. There's no way they could trap Him. What about the Romans? I mean, they were awfully cruel people. I mean, they had perfected crucifixion after all. Yet despite all of their cruelty, their cruelty was no match for the kindness of God. Who is it that delivered the Son of Man into the hands of sinners? It's not Judas. It's not the Sanhedrin. It's not the Romans. It's God the Father. God the Father delivered the Son of Man into the hands. Hands are... Hands are dirty. You know, they just are. I mean, I love shaking everybody's hand here at church. I don't know where your hands have been. Being honest. I mean, you've come from home. You've maybe touched money today, and we all know where money's been. You grabbed the door handle. You know how many people have touched the door handle? You shook other people's hands. You put your hands on the pew. Do you know how many people have got their hands on those pews? And then we all start shaking each other's hands and sharing germs and bacteria and all of this. I have to make a confession. I think it is my moral responsibility to wash my hands between every service. Because you don't want 830's germs. You don't know where those people have been. I mean, you just don't. And so I try to make it a point between each service I wash my hands because I figure I don't need to be taking 830 germs and a 945 and we would be breeding super bacteria here. So, I mean, I've got to wash I mean, besides, if I didn't, it's for my own health. I mean, the germs, they would start making teams and getting team names and team shirts and team mascots, and then they would work to take over me and my health, and so I've got to wash my hands. Now, think about all the people that handled Jesus before hand sanitizer, before signs that said, you know, Roman centurions must wash their hands before returning to work. Those signs did not exist. And so you've got all these people touching Jesus. Snaky Judas touches Jesus when he gives him a kiss. The temple soldiers grab a hold of Jesus. They drag him to the Sanhedrin where he's punched and slapped and spit on. They manhandle him over to the Romans who do more of the same thing. Touch and punch and spit. They, they shove a crown of thorns on his head. They take him to the cross. Then they... Hold his hands down, his pure hands, these hands that came from God, born of a virgin. They lay those hands down with their sinful, 
dirty hands. And then they drive a nail through his hands that's been in somebody else's hand. But you know, church, it's not the germs. It's the sin. These sinful hands. These hands that belong to sinners. It's those hands. The hands that deceived. The hands that oppressed. The hands that committed violence. Those filthy, sinful hands. Those are the hands that Jesus was delivered into. Jesus sees all of this. All of this. And He knows it's coming. And there in Gethsemane, He looks at the disciples. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now, let's, let's not be too hard on the disciples because it's not just the disciples that are asleep. It's all of Jerusalem. The disciples fall asleep. Jesus is taken to the Sanhedrin. They had studied God's Word. They knew it. And yet they were asleep, dreaming of their own kingdom, dreaming of their own politics and power and the things that that's going to bring to them. They're dreaming of that. Jesus is drugged before the Romans. These soldiers are dreaming of the day when they would get promoted out of Palestine. Everybody's asleep. Jesus is lifted up for all of Jerusalem, all of the world to see. And yet they don't notice it. Perhaps this is why Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. And they don't know what they're doing because they're asleep. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now, perhaps some of you think I have played a little fast and loose with this text because, I mean, your Bible probably says betrayed, right? The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. But that word betrayed is delivered. Jesus says it Himself at the, on the cross when He says, Into your hands I commend my spirit. I deliver my spirit. I give my spirit. What is it that makes it betrayed over delivered? It's the context. It's the context. Now, I know that we think if Jesus is delivered into the hands of sinners, surely he was betrayed there. Because you can't put a good spin to that. I mean, they're sinners, after all. There's one person in the text that gets this. There's one person in the text that understands Christ's feeling about sinners. We get glimpses of it in Matthew's chapter 9, 10, and 11 where Jesus eats and drinks with sinners, where Jesus is considered the friend of sinners, and where Jesus says, I came to save sinners. You see, what Jesus is saying is, I came to be delivered into the hands of sinners. And the one person that's awake to catch it all is that thief on the cross. On the cross, the thief looks over at Jesus and he sees the Son of Man delivered into the hands of sinners. And it seems to us to be rather inconvenient to ask somebody who's dying on a cross for something, and yet he says, you know what, I'm not going to miss this moment. And he says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He realized that Jesus was delivered into the hands of sinners, sinners just like him. 
morning we're going to come to the table and we're going to participate in these elements here that represent the body of Christ, that represent the blood of Christ. Today Christ will be delivered into your hands.